This morning I wanted to talk about something that I don't want it to be necessarily a conviction unless the Holy Spirit puts that on your heart, but it's more of I want it to bring in an encouragement to you um, to really uh, hopefully bless you and to um, put you into the right mindset on how to reach the people of, of Clinton. And we're going to be talking about the Great Commission this morning. So if you want to open up your Bibles or turn on your phones, but we're going to be looking at Matthew 28, and it will be 16, verse 16 through 20. Again, that's Matthew 28, 16 through 20. Um, and it says, But the eleven disciples proceeded to Galilee, to the mountain which Jesus has designated to them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some were doubtful. And Jesus came up and spoke to them, saying, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to follow all that I commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Dear God, I just ask that you would just uh, have your Holy Spirit be present here amongst us this morning. May your anointing fall on your church. I pray, Lord, that the words that I, I speak today, that even though they may sometimes be inadequate, that your Holy Spirit will just give them power and impact and wisdom. And Lord, as we dig deeper into what the Great Commission is really all about, I pray that you would just speak to the hearts of your people. In your name we pray, amen. So we see that the Great Commission is really every person that wants to follow after Christ, it's their calling to do. It doesn't say in Scripture that Jesus just commanded the people that are Sunday school teachers or his disciples or pastors, but he says to everyone, go. And so we see these three words. It says, go, make, and do. Three words. Not very big words, but very powerful words. And so in order to understand really what the, the Great Commission is about, we kind of have to take a little detour, and we, we, we have to look and see how important the aspect of salvation is. And I think this is really what jumpstarts the whole purpose of the Great Commission, is understanding salvation. And I really think that a first-generation first Christian has a pretty good grasp of that. Because they're the ones that have entered in, like made a decision to follow after Christ. But sometimes the second, third, fourth, fifth, sixth generation Christian, sometimes the, the thought of us salvation kind of passes over us and we may not grasp the full understanding of what it is. And so salvation is, is what I would call the rescue. And I want to share this story with you on, on October 4th, 1980. 120 miles off the coast of southeast Alaska, the crew of the cruise ship, the Presidium, alerted the U.S. Coast Guard to a fire in the ship's engine room. On board were 524 passengers and crew. Like most Alaska cruises, most of the passengers were over the age of 60. The nearest rescue resources were 170 miles away. The water temperature was in the mid-50s. And when the captain gave the order to abandon ship, all the, all the ingredients for a major disaster were in place. But through fast thinking, working together with everyone available, and following their rescue models, that by the end of the event, all 524 passengers and crew were rescued without a single fatality. That's incredible. We have all these people that are just in the ocean right now. 
And the Coast Guard came, and they were able to rescue these people. They were able to get them out of the water, get them transported to either uh, another boat that was by or get them to land. And so they didn't lose a single person. So let's picture this. Jesus is kind of like the Coast Guard. And he sees us treading water. We're out there in the water of life. And some of us have been treading this water for a very, very long time. And so we cry out for help. And we're just begging someone, don't pass us by. Help us, help us. And in this instance, Jesus comes along. And he does something truly amazing. And instead of just going by us, he reaches down and he pulls us and helps us into the boat. And then he goes on beyond that, that Jesus brings us to the shore. And on the shore, we're safe. We're safe from the waters. We don't have to worry about treading water anymore. We feel that this load has been lifted off of our shoulders. We're no longer fighting. We're on solid ground. And it's on solid ground where we can really thrive and we can really begin to catch our breath, knowing that we don't have to fight for that. But sometimes we hear about this and we say, but why do I even need a rescue? I'm a great person. I got my life, my life floaties on. I'm fine. But we have to look at what the Bible says. And the Bible says in Romans 3.23 that we have all sinned and all fallen short of the glory of God. So therefore, we all need a rescue. So not only do we have the rescue aspect of salvation, but then we get to the shore. And once we are rescued and we're made our way to the shore, we begin to see that the shore is comfortable. And sometimes life on the shore can be relaxing. But most of the time we find it to be kind of comfortable. Not always great, sometimes bad, but we get into our routine and we know that being on the shore we can find comfort. But our journey doesn't really stop there. And it shouldn't. Because we see in Matthew 28 that Jesus doesn't just say, you know, be blessed. He says, go and make. So Jesus is actually telling us that we need to go back out into the water and help with the rescue of others. So the Great Commission is not just a simple of getting out of the water, and it's not just simply just staying on the shore. The Great Commission is that we get back out on the boat, and that we go and we help rescue others. And why is this so important is because we see in Ephesians 2, 8 through 9, and Romans 6, 23, that the aspect of salvation is a gift. And it's a gift that needs to be given to everyone. The Bible doesn't say, Romans 6, 23, that the gift of salvation is strictly for TJ. It says that salvation is a gift from God. And just like we get gifts, and some of us love to get gifts, I feel that getting a gift is kind of awkward. I don't necessarily like to get gifts, but I like to give gifts. And that's what salvation is all about. It's about us receiving the gift of Christ and then immediately going to others and saying, I've got this awesome, amazing gift that I want to give you. But that's where the the meat of the sermon today I want to preach about is we come into these things, and it's the holdups. I hate being held up. Being held up in traffic is probably my worst. Minnesota or Rochester is about four and a half hours away. 
and we have to go through all these kind of back roads and side roads, and we don't spend a lot of time on the interstate, unfortunately. And so there's plenty of times that we can get held up. I think the longest it has ever taken us to get to Clinton to be with the Radkeys was like five and a half hours, and that's probably an hour and a half more than my patience level likes to take me sometimes, but it was because of holdups car accidents where traffic gets backed up. Um, this time of year, you come across uh, the farmers with their, with their equipment in the road, and so the, everyone has to slow down to wait to pass and all of this stuff. And so we get a holdup. And I dislike holdups. And I'm sure there's many different holdups that are in your life. It may be traffic like me. It may be just lack of patience that I'm also guilty of sometimes. But we get stuck in these areas. And the first is we get stuck in the rescue. And one of the questions I get is, why would I want to be stuck in the rescue? There is no joy or benefit of just treading water. Believe it or not, back in my skinnier days, I went to a lifeguard training in college and I got my lifeguard certificate. And in some of the things that they have to do, you have to swim so many miles, but you also have to tread water. And treading water is not exactly fun. I mean, it's exercise, but eventually, after like 10, 15 minutes, you get tired. And eventually, if you keep going, sometimes you get like cramps in your legs. And if you've ever tried swimming with a cramp, it's not fun. It's like waking up in the middle of the night with a cramp and you're kind of kicking it out. But when you're treading water, you're trying to stay afloat and you're still trying to work out a cramp. It is not fun. So why would we want to just tread water? Well, the first thing is, it's because we choose not to be obedient to what Jesus is calling our life to be. And so there's a call to holiness when we accept the Lord, when we, we turn to him for salvation. Jesus doesn't just say, I want you to live, continue to live the way that you are living. Once we, we say, God, I, I want to serve you, there is a specific call to a life of holiness. And so we feel like, ah, holiness, you're being stuck in the water. If I live a life of holiness, I've got to give away all this stuff. Like, I can't do this, and I can't, and I can't. And that's really what I want to say this morning, is it's a wrong mindset. It's not, I can't. Surrendering to Jesus is not, I can't anymore. Surrendering to Jesus is really an, I can that I can live under the abundance grace of who Jesus is. But we get so stuck that we hear this thing that if I, have to, if I have to sacrifice myself and I have to live to holiness, there's this rules of I can. And Jesus is saying, if you allow me to be part of your life, your life becomes amazing. Your life becomes more than, than what you have right now. Your life is everything that I've created you to be when you follow after him. There's also the, uh, the fact that sometimes when we try to get rescued, we see Jesus and he puts out his hand and we want to grab onto it, but then we expect him to completely lift us out of the water and there's no try or action on our part. And unfortunately, there's this thing called free will. So Jesus doesn't really make us do anything that we technically don't want to do. We have this choice to make. And so we can see Jesus come by in the boat, and he's got his hand out reaching out for us, and we kind of grab onto it, but then we just kind of play dead. 
And we expect Jesus to lift us into the boat. And that's not Jesus. I like to think of it as this. We, we moved houses in Rochester, and we have a king-size bed. I love a king-size bed. I don't ever want to go away from a king-size bed, but king-size beds are big. And so our house, our bedroom was up on the second floor, and we couldn't get a normal bed up there, so we had to get a bed in a box. If anyone knows what a bed in the box is, you get this rolled-up piece of mattress, you get the box up there, take it out of the box, and then you cut this plastic thing, and it starts to inflate. And there's your bed. So it was great. And then when we decided to move, we had to get that bed that I could no longer roll up into a little sausage and get it down the stairs. I had this chunk of bed that I had to try to get out. And so I looked at it, and I said, I'm just going to cut this, and we're going to buy a new bed. But my wife is frugal, and she's like, we need to not pay money if we can get this out. So myself and my brother, we tried to get this bed out of this room, and it was like picking up a 185-pound dead person that was just sitting in the water floating around. I mean, this thing was impractical in size. It's all floppy, and we're trying to get it over these guardrails and down the stairs, and then we got to get it into the other house, and I'm like, this stinks. We ended up getting it there. We got into the new house, but I told my wife that if we move again, this bed is staying there, or I'm cutting it up and taking it out piece by piece. But that's kind of like what we do. We just play dead, and we expect God to just reach down into the water and just yank us up. But God is sitting there like, I will help you up, but you've got to make an effort. You have to make the choice to grab my hand and help us out of the water. And so we just kind of get stuck there. The other part is, I'm a golfer. I love to golf. Uh, Last time I was down here, or a year ago when I was down here, I took uh, Pastor Jim to golf, and we had some fun in the rain. But there are times that I've been on a golf course, and it is hot. Like, Minnesota does get hot, like 90 degrees and humid, and it's disgusting and gross, and you're out there golfing, and you're like, oh, I would do anything to jump into a pool right now. And then you're walking down the course, and there's this pond, and it's filthy, and it's got algae on it and everything, but you look at it. You're like, I am so hot that I would love to just jump in there right now and cool off. And that's kind of like this, that we get onto the boat, but the temptations that are out there and the things that Satan has tricked our minds into, as we're going on this boat, we kind of look back, and we see the water. And we're like, did I make the right decision? And the enemy is speaking into our ears and saying, you know, you're giving up all this stuff, the water, and you know, you have to tread in the water, but the water's better. It's hot out here. The sun's glaring off the lake. Jump into the the water. Go back. And so what do we do? We end up being on the boat. And before we can even get to the shore, we jump back into the water. And so we're stuck in the rescue. The other thing is with the rescue, we come and we get this emotional response. And what I mean is for some of us, when we found Jesus, we are in a tough space, a a tough part in our life. And so the preacher preached a great message and we get excited. And there's this emotional buildup in our heart. And so we raise our hand and we come forward and we get prayed at the altar and we make a decision to follow after God. And we feel excited. We are pumped. 
And then Monday happens, and nothing has changed. And so we decide, you know what, I'm just going to continue to live my life because on Sunday the pastor said my life was going to be amazing, but on Monday my life is not amazing, so I'm going to do what I'm continuing to do. And then we go through the week. And then the next Sunday, we hear the same message, the same invitation to salvation, and we're, we're in a terrible mood. But oh, I remembered when I went up to the front, I got excited. I was no longer sad. And so we go back up and we get prayed for, and there's this continual cycle of being into this rescue stage. And so what happens is we get stuck chasing the feelings of salvation, but not the commitment of holiness. We're chasing after emotion instead of a life-changing event. It's immediately we get pulled out of the water onto the boat and we just jump back in because the feeling of being pulled out of the water is greater than being on the boat and rescued. And that's not where we're meant to be. We're not meant to be in this continual cycle of being in a rescue. But the second part of this is that we can get stuck on the shore. Because what happens on the shore, we're no longer in the water. On the shore, we can find that it can be comfortable. We don't want to leave the confines of the shore ever. And when we hear this message saying that we're supposed to go, we start to think, well, what if I fall off the boat? Or, you know, Jesus might want to take me like into the middle of the lake, and that's really, really far away. And I get seasick, and I don't want to do all this thing. I just, I just want to stay on the shore because it's great. And we begin to tell ourselves, I don't really need to go because I go to church. I even listen to Christian music. I try not to gossip. I keep the commandments. And I even joined a small group. I am doing everything good. And so we stay on the shore. And then we don't even begin to share our faith because sharing our faith sometimes makes us uncomfortable. And that can be something that a lot of us don't necessarily want to deal with. I'm going to be honest with you, as a, as a minister, sometimes I like to take the comfortable over being not comfortable. But I have learned in my life that in order to move forward in life, you have to be uncomfortable at times. And so it can be, it can be scary. And sometimes even talking about Jesus can be awkward. I mean, we're in a very like polarized society right now, and you... If you jump on social media or anything like that, like Instagram or TikTok or any of that stuff, like you can see people that are speaking out in faith, a lot of it, you know, they get made fun of, and they get blown up, and, and people will talk about them, and they call them crazy and all this stuff. And so again, it becomes awkward, and we don't want to share our faith. We just want to stay on the shore. The other thing is we get too busy. There's so, much, so many things that we have to do on the shore that we forget about needing to go back. You know, I have a house to maintain. I have a job to do. I have a status quo to continue to keep up to. And I'm just busy. There's other things that I can do for, for God besides witnessing. 
I can lead a Sunday school group. I can, I can do a small group. I can volunteer for being on the worship team. I can help out with church outreaches and all that stuff. Uh, I'll even vacuum the church and clean up the, uh, clean up the church building if needed. And I'm not saying here that that stuff is bad because it's needed for the body of Christ. But we begin to replace the aspect of going with that. That's where we really fall short. There's a book that I'm reading from Watchman Nee, who is um, some considered to be like a, uh, the founding father of uh, Christianity in China. And he's from like the 1940s, 1950s. But in this book, his, he's quoted as writing, Hence, many works are done out of self, but they're not on obedience to God. And so we do all these works and stuff to kind of like pick up or make ourselves feel good. I mean, how many of you have ever volunteered? Because it's a great thing. And when you volunteer, you're usually pretty happy. When you serve others with a good heart, you find joy in that. And so again, we begin to chase that feeling that I'm just volunteering because I know it makes me feel better. And so we do all these things for our own self, but we miss out on the importance of being obedient to who God is. And that's where the obedience comes back to God is saying, go. And so we get stuck on the shore. And again, that's not where we're meant to be. And I can understand that the call of the Great Commission can be, can be daunting. But I love the fact that the Great Commission does not end on just the go and make disciples. Jesus ends the Great Commission on this. He says, and behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. You see, Jesus isn't leaving us there. Jesus isn't like, hey, go get that paddle boat, because how many of you have ever been on a paddle boat? Terrible. I'm going to be honest. Like, you go to camps, and kids are always like, will you take me on the paddleboard? I'll take you on the canoe, but I don't want to sit out there and paddle my butt off for 15 minutes to get to the other middle of the lake, and then we got to paddle all the way back. Like, this is not fun. But sometimes we see it, and we think that if I have to go rescue people, Jesus is like, see that paddle boat over there? I need you to go four and a half miles out into the water, and you'll find someone to rescue and then you got to paddle them all the way back. No, the fact and the simple matter of it is Jesus says, I'm always with you. That Jesus isn't going to tell us, just go and do it by yourself. And I looked up what the definition of always is. And it means at all times and on all occasions. I like to say that I'm always on time. And I have to be, apologize to you for lying right there because I am not always on time. Sometimes I am a couple times late. Most of the time, I'm on time. And Jesus doesn't say, most of the time I will be with you. Jesus says, I will be with you always. And so he's the captain of the boat. He's the one that is directing us on where to go. And he's doing it always. It's not just sometimes or during a season, but he's always with us. And so how do we do this? How do we go and make disciples? How do, we, how do we jump onto this boat and help with the rescue that God is telling us to do? As I shared in the first service, 
the thought of going up to a random person and being like, God wants to have a relationship with you, scares me. I'm not that person. I love evangelists for that very reason. They have no fear. They will just go up to someone and be like, I know someone that wants to have a relationship with you, and his name is Jesus, and let's go from there. So this morning, I want to submit to you that if you want to go back out onto the boat for the rescue, start with relationship. We can see that Jesus modeled this with his disciples. His disciples were, were all over the place when it comes to maturity and following after him. But Jesus started with the relationship. And that's what I would say to you. If there's someone in your, in your life that you're trying to witness to, whether it's your coworker or, or a family member or all of this, what's your relationship like with them? Start there. Because if we're doing what God says and, and following his commandments, then people are going to notice that there's something different with us. That if you get chewed out at work and your response is not to blow up at your coworker or your boss, but to just kind of listen, look for ways for improvement. I know that's hard, but to see it and, and not take it personally. Your coworkers are going to start to think, man, that, you got reamed out for no reason. Why didn't you get mad? And there's your opportunity, because that's not the way that the person that I love the most, Jesus, would want me to react. And that may sound crazy to them at first, but if they really get to see that that's really who you are, then that's something that they don't have, that they're naturally going to be, I want to be like this. And so with the relationship, it starts building up the conversations. And with the conversations, we can start saying, well, I do all this stuff because I have a relationship with Jesus Christ. For some of you, it is bold in speaking. Sometimes you just want to tell people, like, I love Jesus. This is the way I am. And for you, I say, that's amazing. That's awesome. And if that's where God is telling you to go, then continue to do it. Go for it. Speak out in boldness. Be obedient. And then the last thing is the Holy Spirit prompting. And some of you may not understand what that is. And I tell our young adults and uh, youth kids that I believe the Holy Spirit prompting is when you feel this urge to do something good, that's not normally you. So, for example, if you're walking down uh, the park on a path, minding your own business, enjoying the day, today is supposed to be like 60 degrees for us Minnesotans, ah, that's amazing. But you're just minding your own business, you want to do it, and all of a sudden you feel this prompt like, you should go ask that person how their day is going. Uh, the Minnesota nice in me is saying, there's no way I want to do that. Because they'll probably just be like, hey, good. And we might go off. It's a waste of time. Because I normally wouldn't do that. But the Holy Spirit prompting could say, I'm going to ask that person how they're doing. And this person opens up to me about something that's going on in their life. And I'm able to share who Jesus is. Because I followed that prompting. And I will tell you that because of who we are as humans, there is a lot of earthly flesh in us. So most of the time, if it's something that we feel out of nowhere to do something good, it's the Holy Spirit prompting. I like to think back about all the times in my life where I have felt this kind of thing to do. And when I look back now at it, I'm like, oh, that was definitely, you know, God. 
That was the Holy Spirit. I'm glad I answered that. But I can also say that there are times that I have failed at that. And I think, man, I, I really should have done that. I wonder where they're at. Like, I wonder if that would have really impacted them. And so we get this Holy Spirit prompting of us. And it's just about stepping out in obedience and doing it. My wife has, has been great at that with our, our, our young adult group. And I am amazed to see some of the things where she'll, she'll text me and be like, I really feel like I need to set up a coffee date with this person. Can I do it? Sure, go ahead. You know, if you feel that that's what God wants you to do, go for it. And because of these Holy Spirit prompting has led to great discussions and where people aren't comfortable necessarily sharing about these things in a small group, it's opened up opportunities for her to speak Jesus and life into them in a way that would never happen unless she said, I want to follow up with this person because I think God is telling me I need to do that. And so we see these three things that help us when it comes to going onto the boat. And the last thing is you say, well, all three of those things seem really difficult, and I'm very afraid of all three of those things. To that, I just remind you that Jesus is always with us, that we're not relying on our own selves, our own insecurities, our own fears, or even our own failures that we might remember. But we can rely that Jesus is there with us. And when I don't have words to say, I realize that the Holy Spirit can give me those words to say. And if I don't have anything to connect with this person, I realize the Holy Spirit is the one that can guide those connections. And all I have to be is obedient. All I have to do is decide, you know what, I am not going to stay in the comfort of this shore. I'm going to get back on that boat, and I'm going to go. And I'm going to talk to the people around me that are lost, that need Jesus. It's also saying I'm not going to get stuck in this perpetual cycle of being the rescue. I'm not chasing the emotion. I'm going to start chasing the holiness of who God is. And I believe that if every single one in our our churches today in America took that to heart, and again, this is me preaching to myself. I'm not coming here and saying, uh, Church of the Open Door is terrible at this. I'm not, because I'm speaking to myself. If we all, as the body of Christ, decided we were going to really go after this, think of the revival that we would have. Think about our churches Think about our groups. Think about our youth groups, our children's churches, all these things. The impact we would have by just saying, it's not about me and where I'm at on the rescue of the shore. It's about me going and making disciples and allowing the Holy Spirit to fill our churches with people that want to serve him and be obedient to him. That's an amazing thing to think and picture of. And the amount of revival that would happen would be amazing So my challenge this morning to you is to be obedient in the Great Commission, to go. No matter how intimidating or scary that might be, you can do it. I know you can. The reason I know you can is because Scripture says that Jesus is with us. And I know that you can because we see a history of people that have come before us that have gone and went and did. And God was with them. And if God's with them, he's with us. Before I end in prayer, I just want to share, I didn't do this the the first service because I forgot, but I just want to give a quick update for 
uh, schools to give hope. And I know that you guys are a church that prays for us and even supports financially. And we thank you so much for that. But we are, we are in a moment of being in st- kind of stuck right now because uh, the Kenyan government uh, has pushed everything to electronical. So we've got the deed and we've got the money raised for it. And all we are waiting for is it to be uploaded into the, the system because it's no longer being paper. And it's been like this for seven months. Because in Kenya, a lot of things are done with money and bribes. And so the rich people that need to get all their stuff done first are handing off tremendous amounts of money for bribes, and everyone else just keeps getting pushed. So we need prayer that, that this gets through, because what happens is, once that happens, and the title gets transferred into uh, the name, then we're able to get electricity and start with water and all of that stuff there, instead of borrowing electricity from the neighbors and all of that, and which can put a a big deal on the, the grid. So that is a huge prayer request. The other prayer request has just continued the funding so once all that happens, we hit the ground running for the building. But with all of that, which may seem negative, I'd like to share that we, they had a uh, children's ministry opportunity because they still use the land. We have a temporary structure built on for church and they do church and ministry out there. But there's a children's ministry that they did and they had enough water bottles for 340 kids. And in all, there was about 550 kids that came in and were able to hear the message of Christ. And that's not anything that I did. It was just being obedient to answering God. And it's also the work that you have done as a church too, that there are 500 kids that were able to hear about Jesus because you have prayed and that you have given financially. That's an amazing thing. The school in Myanmar is still going, even though there's still a military coup, and there are still villages being bombed, and there is still genocide happening for different cultures and the different groups, and we don't hear about it, but it's happening. I see the pictures, and they break my heart, and yet there's still this school that is serving their community not only through education now, but they're also helping handing out food and supplies that are needed. Because again, church here in Clinton, Iowa has been praying and they have been giving financially for these things to happen. So I thank you so much for that. That's amazing. You can give yourselves a hand of a, a round of applause, but that is an amazing thing that you are all of a part of. And so we continue to just thank you so much and we continue to ask for your prayers that God would move in a mighty way and that we can get this school built and so that more kids don't have to stay at home because we don't have enough room for them at the current school, that instead of having 200 kids packed tightly into a school, that we'll be able to open up a school that can serve up to 200 more kids to get them out of their homes, to get them an education, to help break the cycle of of poverty. So thank you. Let's pray. Dear God, we thank you so much for who you are. And we thank you, God, that you never will leave us. That, Lord, everything that you've called us to do, you are there right beside us, helping us. And, Lord, I pray for anyone that is stuck in the rescue, for anyone that is is chasing the spiritual high or 
or just trying to figure out where they are, that, Lord, they would seek to follow after you with their whole heart. That, Lord, it wouldn't be a feeling that they're chasing, but the holiness that you've called them to be. For any of those that are stuck on the shore, and sometimes, God, even myself can get complacent there and comfortable. I pray, Lord, that you would continually to remind us through your Holy Spirit that we are called to go, that we are called to go back onto that boat and make a difference. And so, Lord, would you just continue to remind us of that? I pray, Lord, for anyone that is is scared or, or nervous about doing that, because sometimes being uncomfortable is scary. That, God, you would remind us that you are always with us. That it's not our words that we need to share, but it's the words that you give us. Lord, that's not us doing these things, but it's just obeying, being obedient to the Holy Spirit and allowing the Holy Spirit to work through us. So, Lord, if there's anyone there that is timid or, or scared with that, we ask that you're your spirit would just embolden them this morning, that you would remind them of those, that, those simple things that you are always with us. And Lord, I pray that if there's anyone here this morning that is in need of a rescue, that Lord, they either think that they're a great person and they, they don't need to be saved because of who they are, or there's, there's someone that is literally crying out for help right now that, God, you would speak to their hearts and show them that you are the one that rescues, that you are the one that gives salvation, that you are the one that gives forgiveness and mercy and grace. And so, Lord, I pray that if there's anyone there that, that needs to hear that this morning, that you would allow them, that you would give them boldness and strength to make that decision that I'm going to follow after you, and that, Lord, they would be willing to do so. And lastly, Lord, I pray for those that are doing and going and making disciples, that you would continue to be with them. And that, Lord, sometimes this can be a scary place and there's so many things that are unknown and things that can happen because we share our faith. So, God, I ask that you would protect them, that you would give strength, that you would replenish energy when it's needed, and that, Lord, you would bring encouragement when needed as well. But, Lord, again that you would constantly remind them that they can hold on to you during that time because you are always with us. So we thank you for loving us. We thank you for who you are. In your name we pray.